0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
1: com.
2: Welcome, to Australians. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas.
3: Eric, who are we going to talk to today? Uh, Perth Toll. Perth Toll. Who's she? She's somebody that I've uh, bumped into several times on the circuit the ETF conference circuit and various events. Just really nice person, very uh It's a distinct lively. name. I remember she's actually been on the podcast before. Yeah, we got a little clip of her from Inside ETFs. And she was on ETF IQ, the TV show I do about a year ago ish. And what's interesting about Perth is I've been bumping into her this whole time and she's just had an index and a dream for a couple years. And this Which is week, always
2: one of our favorite things about ETFs in general. Yes.
3: There's a Silicon Valley element to it all. And Perth, to me, embodies the Silicon Valley element and the indie world, as I call it. And finally, her ETF is coming to light. So, And what's the ETF? It's called the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets ETF. It's basically a freedom-weighted and filtered version of the emerging markets. It's kind of an ESG-type tilt on it. So not only is that a lot to dig into, what's going on there... Um, but the story of how the ETF got to daylight is also fascinating. So I just thought there was a couple angles here that were really a lot to uh, dig into. This time on
2: trying Freedom Investing with Perth Toll. Hi, Perth. You're joining us from Houston. How's Houston today?
4: Hello. It's uh, humid as usual.
2: I bet it is. So, so Perth, what are you bringing to market here?
4: So I am uh, bringing to market an ETF called the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets ETF, and I'm doing this in conjunction with uh, Alpha Architect, who is our issuing partner. So He's I-
3: been on the show. Yeah, Wes Gray, we know well. I know yeah. well. Um, he is, was from the Mar- he was in the Marines, and then he is now a quant, and he does sort of more hardcore smart beta factor ETFs. That's just background on Wes, and that's why p- potentially Freedom uh, caught his attention because of the Marines background.
4: Yeah, so the the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets ETF would be based on the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets Index, and I'm just going to stick with talking about the index because that's my part of it. Um, and the index is basically a freedom-weighted emerging markets approach. So um, it, what I noticed with emerging market indexes as an investor is that they are, you know, the market cap-weighted ones, and, and most of them are market cap-weighted on the country level. They have a very high allocation to China, so they have about 35% allocation to China. If you look at all of them, um, MSCI, FTSE, S&P, they all have about 30 to 35% in China. Um, FTSE already has added A shares, and MSCI is adding A shares now, so that will only increase. And that's a huge allocation um, to one concentrated country that is somewhat high risk as far as geopolitics go. Um, and th- the reason why I personally didn't want a kind of a China fund in disguise in my investments, in my emerging markets um, index funds, is I am actually from China. I grew up half in China and half in the U.S. I was born in Beijing. And, um, I, I, you know, being somewhat familiar with the situation over there after living and working there after college, um, I kind of didn't want my, my investment dollars to uh, be allocated that way. So that's why I created the freedom weighting methodology, which basically gives freer countries a higher weight in the index, less free countries a lower weight, and the worst offenders as far as human rights and economic freedoms are eliminated from the index.
2: So who gets the biggest weighting?
4: Taiwan actually has the biggest weighting currently. So it's Taiwan, South Korea, Chile, and Poland with the biggest weightings.
3: The, you know, if you look at VWO, that's the big emerging markets ETFs. China is a thirty-one percent weighting, and that's only going to go up as A shares get more included. So, China could be forty percent. So, your your ETF is going to differ pretty drastically from the more popular emerging markets.
4: Uh, yes, so we have actually zero China allocation because of their freedom scores, which we get from a third party. Um, they are eliminated from the in- They're excluded completely. Um, but we do have high allocations in Taiwan and South Korea, which are very free emerging markets. So it's kind of a happy accident that we have low tracking error um, with high active share because those, con- those markets are highly correlated.
2: So what was, a, what was a memory from your time in China, if you can share one, that informed what's become your investing thesis here?
4: Yeah, so there's there's a lot of things that I saw in China, um, both as a child when I was growing up there, and also when I went back after college. Um, I do remember things from from you know childhood, like before I was nine, where somebody would say something politically sensitive, and then somebody else, like an adult, and then another, another adult would say, "Oh, you know, don't say that next to the, near the kids; like they'll hear you or they'll repeat it." Or there was one time uh, my my grandfather. In his library, he had all these books, and I, I found a book that had a story about two people in a garden. Um, I guess that's the beginning of it. So now I realize it was probably a Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather was; his life was saved by a Christian missionary doctor in the in the World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so he probably did have a Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I remember my grandmother getting really mad at him that I had found that and I never saw it again. Mm -hmm. Um, So things like that, but also, and I don't think I've ever told those two before. um, But uh, when I went back to Hong Kong after college, uh, that's when I realized, wow, my life would have been completely different Mm -hmm. had I never gone to the States. Um, And then, you know, for example, I'm a child of the, I'm a product of the one-child policy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I met a friend there, uh, Maggie, who was in Shanghai at the time. We traveled to Shanghai and and Beijing often from Hong Kong. And she was basically, you know, very similar to me. She was the exact same age. um, And we had a lot of common interests. And basically just like any other of my friends who would be my age um, in the U.S. But the only difference was she doesn't exist on paper in China. She doesn't have a birth certificate or state benefits or, you know, hospital records or school records because she was um, a girl and they, this family had two children and they, they registered the boy for school Mm. for existence. So, you know, yeah. So as a product of the one child policy, I saw when I went back there um, very clearly that, you know, freedom matters. Um, Looking at just The Hong Kong market at the time versus mainland market, there was a difference. And there's also obviously a difference between U.S. markets and Chinese markets. And so, um, and and policies matter. So policies and governance. So for example, this one-child policy, which is now the two-child policy, you know, it it changed the culture of my generation, not to mention all the societal and uh, economic effects it's going to have. You know, now it's two-child policy, but no one's having two children Mm. because... The culture has changed.
2: And what so, what was the spark that made you realize that capital markets could be a change agent here?
4: Um, I think it's when I was working as a financial advisor at Fidelity, and I saw that a lot of my clients uh, wanted to invest in China and wanted to invest in emerging markets. But we, as Americans, sometimes project our own optimism onto these other places. We can't imagine the stuff that goes on. Um, as far as human rights abuses and things like that. So, you know, to us, they don't exist because we, we can't even fathom it. And then as far as my own personal investments, not wanting my investment dollars to be allocated to some of these regimes that are more authoritarian and had, you know, more human rights abuses. Um, I think that's the, that was the catalyst, like a combination of working in finance, seeing clients want to invest in this without knowing what they're actually investing in, and also my personal... Um, my personal investing preferences.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all in one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
2: And Perth, when you backtested this, how did it perform?
4: So it does track very well. To we use MSCI um, as our backtesting benchmark, and it does it does perform very well. Like very, it tracks the MSCI pretty closely. It does have a slight alpha add over the five year, um, and we do expect to see some alpha over time. Though we we are creating this as, as more of a differentiated emerging markets exposure that is freedom weighted. So' it's, it's not necessarily we're promising that every year it's going to you know beat the other um, the market cap weighted indexes. but freer countries are expected to perform you know more sustainably over time and they do from what, what we found in our back test, they recover faster. And, you know, intuitively, you know, that they use their human and economic capital or their capital and labor more efficiently. So they have less capital flight and less capital destruction. And you see that, you know, in, I, I use China as a kind of a poster child example for all of this because it does have such a high weight in the other indexes. But, yeah, you kind of see that in China, like a lot of money tries to come out. People try to come out. So it's, you lose a lot of capital and labor. Um, to freer countries if you're more of an unfree country. And so we do expect that over time, especially in emerging markets where there's such a huge discrepancy between freedom levels, we believe that there is opportunity there for alpha.
3: Can you just break down for us why China was eliminated? Like what what where did you flag them that and could they improve that?
4: Yeah, so China has made a lot of improvements over the last 30 years as far as their economic freedoms opening up a little bit more. Um, and that has created you know a, a huge a drastic effect on their uh, on their market and li- living standards and so forth um, but investors saw very little of that a lot of that you know remained in state-owned enterprises and, and it, it, it honestly disappeared from investment returns so and, and you see that happen a lot in the more unfree markets is that investors don't take part in the in the growth quite as much Um but as far as why they're not in this index currently, yeah, their economic freedoms are still lower than um, relative than the, the, some of their peers. But it's really their human freedom um, scores that that uh, cause them to be to be excluded from the index. So we look at both human and economic freedoms, and we use. We use the Fraser Institute, Cato Institute, and Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom's um, data set on human and economic freedom. So it's a combined score of 79 variables, including what I categorize into the rights to life, the rights to liberty, and the rights to property. So is there rights to life and liberty or civil and political freedoms that um, cause China to not currently be in the index?
2: So you've got this great idea, Perth. And now it's coming to market. You're effectively like a gladiator who's just stepped into the ring, <laughs> right? So what what does success look like?
3: And by the way, let me just set up the ring here, okay? Which I call the Terra Dome. <laughs> yes. I cannot understate, or overstate rather, how brutal the ETF industry is, especially for an indie. This is like, this is like um, Perth walking in as a human amongst all these gigantic... Uh, monsters and beasts vanguard and blackrock and they will squash you so quickly they'll copy your idea they'll undercut you in fees but she's got a slingshot you do that you you are <laughs> david to the goliath what's your plan of action
4: uh thanks eric that's that's great <laughs> <laughs> so it, it doesn't feel exactly like that actually so um i, I do know that you know it, we are coming up against a lot of industry forces that are not favorable to indie issuers and to new um, types of approaches and and yeah we we don't have the pricing power that some of these the big three have. Um, I think what we do have though is is enough of a differentiation in idea, so it's a different enough concept that you know we are going to have first to market we are the only one doing it. Um, I talked with some some very well known investors and uh, people that that you know my partners are surprised would be interested in 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 you know, taking part in our kind of adventure here. And wh- what I think those investors see in this is one, they resonate with the freedom idea. So I'm hoping that investors too will resonate with that, um, and that will attract people who care about freedom and want to invest in a way that aligns with those values. But also, I think it's just it's different enough that you really can't get it anywhere else currently.
3: I just did a quick search on FSearch on the terminal for EM that has less than 1% China. These are EM ETFs. There's a handful, but a lot of them I, I'm going to eliminate because they're leveraged or just have something weird going on. But like XCEM is one, Columbia EM Core X China. Like That whole thing is like, we're just going to go EM and we're just going to kill China. Yours, again, I think more thoughtful... But obviously, Columbia wouldn't have done this if they didn't think there was some market for somebody who wanted something like this. So, Perth, in my view, when these indies come out with these products, I think you've got two angles here. You can sell the story, but the story probably is going to be really much more sellable, if you will, when China has a rough couple years and your ETF outperforms EEM and VWO in spades. And then I think the story is going to really take hold. I have seen this happen before and before with robotics, cybersecurity. I think that's usually the key for these niche players. So you should probably root for China to have a rough go of it.
4: (laughs) Right. Now, I do want to be clear that I'm not rooting for China to fail. Um, (laughs) And this is not an ex-China fund. So this is, you know, I hope China can, can be in the index, you know, someday. And I don't see that happening soon, but I hope that happens. Um, you know, but it's not just China that we, we exclude. We also exclude Russia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, which is about to be added to MSCI's index. Um, we don't have any, any allocation to, and and it's a similar situation to China where I don't expect that to change anytime soon. Um, and, and again, we are not deciding, you know, what countries go in there. I couldn't game the system. If I tried, we're using quantitative freedom metrics from a third party, um, for complete objectivity. So, um, so yeah, so we, we don't have any China, and that is most notable uh, because the other indexes have so much China, um, and I think that does give us a lot of uh, differentiation and, and just gives investors a different different exposure um, that would lower their risk, you know, overall if they were to incorporate both the um, you know commonly used benchmarks and um, something like this. So yeah, it's, it's not just just China that we're picking on, um, and and we're using basically third party objective quantitative metrics
2: so i have a big question for you yeah what have you learned about the world that you didn't know before you learned you started this process
4: <laughs> um so actually i'm very thankful to be in the etf space because it's been a lot more supportive than you would imagine uh, some you know wall street industry to be so uh, and i think you find that people agree with that across the board that it's more inclusive it's you know more diverse um and, just open to new ideas because you know for a long time ETFs have been the underdog so you know we tend to you know stick together and even your competitors become your friends so that is um, something that I really enjoy um, about the ETF world you know um, as a good example since we're on this show with Eric uh, when I first started doing this, and I'm not just saying this because we're on this show with Eric, by the way. uh oh.
3: uh um, <laughs> oh. I know where this is going. <laughs> well, I can, I I can started, hear his ego getting bigger from if here. If it's complimentary towards me, Joel's about to cringe.
4: You know, I've looked up to him for a long time since we since basically the he did the you know movie ratings article, uh, I believe it was like a couple three years ago maybe. Um, right when I first started this. Um, him and just the industry giants, you know, that, that we work with now, like Reggie Brown, who, when I, when I, have worked with Fidelity before this for, you know, uh, many years as an investment, um, advisor. And, um, I left Fidelity in 2014, um, to spend time to basically become a stay-at-home mom to a young child. And the, the month that I left Fidelity was April of 2014. um, and, the cover story on Bloomberg Markets that month was Mr. ETF. And it just had this gigantic uh, headshot of Reggie Brown on the cover. <laughs> so, I remember
0: that issue. Chris Condon I worked Chris at, at, I
2: worked at yeah? uh, Bloomberg Markets then. Yeah.
4: Wow. Yeah. So, so that was the month I left. And I just remember that article. Um, and then when I started doing this um, officially and went to Inside ETFs for the first time, I, you know, made it a point to meet Reggie just because to me at the time, because of that magazine article, because of that cover, he was Mr. ETF. So now he is the lead market maker on our fund. Oh, that's So I I mean, stuff like this that happened, you know, over this time, I just I couldn't have I couldn't have uh, imagined. And uh, a lot of this I couldn't have orchestrated if I tried. I just think that people this idea is something that I feel like is bigger than me. and, And I just I get to do it. But really, it's, it's bigger than me. And the, the, the way that I met a lot of my investors, like Rob Arnott, you know, was the same way.
2: When you talk to investors, what are you hearing so far? And how do you get them to actually put assets into your fund?
4: Yeah, so something that I learned as a financial advisor, it's, it's easier to sell stuff to people that they already want. So instead of convincing people that freedom is important, in the very beginning, when I have, when I have to do things that are scalable... I'm talking to people who already believe in freedom. So my very first investor, uh, a committed investor in the fund was Rob Arnott. And Rob is someone that I, you know, looked up to as well for a long time. Um, In fact, back in the day, like way before this was an official thing, I was interested in indexing and non-cap weighted indexing. He, his firm, Research Affiliates, was in Pasadena on Lake, South Lake Avenue. And I worked at the Fidelity on South Lake Avenue. So he was a few doors (laughs) down. And I would sometimes like walk over there and just stalk the Research Affiliates building because I thought they were so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so after I left Fidelity and eventually started this, when my kid, you know, start, started going to school full time, I called Research Affiliates and I said, "Hey, do you guys want to partner on this?" And they were just like, "Please go away." Uh, so they didn't, you know, want to talk at all. Uh, I couldn't; there was no chance of getting through to Rob. Um, and then I went to that Inside ETFs the first year, as I uh, mentioned, where I met. Reggie Brown, but also um, I met this, they had an app that year um, at the conference. It was like an intra-conference Twitter app, and people could just tweet each other just within the conference. And then somebody from a China talk tweeted, I can't believe this guy is talking about China, but he's not mentioning the one-child policy and all its implications on the economy and society. And I was like, oh my gosh, like somebody else knows and cares about the one child policy and I look him up and he's a portfolio manager in Tennessee and so um, we end up meeting and his name is Ralph Lehman and I believe Eric you know him as well he's coming out with a book soon about ETS so he invited me to go speak he was he's the president of a CFA society in Tennessee it's a tiny society it's like 20 people um, he invited me to go speak there. I, I was like, sure, I'll go. I'll go speak in, in Tennessee. Uh, so he had me speak at the Chattanooga Society and the Knoxville Society, and they were both about 20 people each event. It was super fun. Um, and then after that, they referred me to the Tampa Society for their annual forecast dinner. So as you know, the forecast dinner is kind of a bigger event with CFA societies. And this society at this event had about 300 people. And this was my first year doing this and barely started, had no idea what I was doing. And I was on this panel with BlackRock, Morningstar, and this guy named David Kotak. And it went well. And after the panel, David Kotak invited me to a fishing camp called Camp Kotok. And at first I was like, who does this? It's literally like 50 economists and finance people I go fishing in the woods for three or four days with, at the time, no Wi-Fi. So, you know, my friends were like, you should go. You know, you can meet all these cool people. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Sounds like so the beginning I, I of a horror go, movie,
0: doesn't
2: it? Doesn't it? <laughs> it totally does. It's like <laughs> stuck, stuck in the woods with, with a bunch of scientists and, yeah, and exactly we're going like to go that. fishing.
4: They actually call it the Shadow Fed because there's people people there that are on the short list for the Fed. So
3: <laughs> no, I've seen. It looks fun. Uh, I've know, I know people who go. It seems like it's a wholesome time.
4: It's actually it, it was super fun, but um, but you have to take a seaplane to get from the Bangor Airport into this very remote campsite, which is like almost in Canada, or you can drive. So I was initially planning on driving, but I was. Um, just kind of tired from my meetings uh, when I was flying there from New York. And uh, I called the seaplane company. I said, hey, is it too late to get a seaplane for today? And they were like, no, you can share with Rob Arnott. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you just intercept him at the airport. Here's his flight number and so forth. And so I literally intercept Rob Arnott at the Bangor Airport and say, hey, did they tell you that we were going to be riding together? And he's like, yeah. And so we basically met that way. Um, we ended up fishing together um, for several days. And after camp, he got on a call with me at my request with a potential client. The potential client didn't end up committing assets to the fund. But after the call, Rob told me that he would basically became my first investor. That he told me he would put in some assets to get the fund started. And then over time, that just kind of kind of grew. Um, and then once, once uh, Wes and I were talking about, you know, launching an ETF on my own, that's when I started, you know, raising money for not only the fund, but also for the company. And Rob is now the biggest investor in my company as well.
3: You know, this story speaks to the indie world. Um, yes. You know, if you're Vanguard <laughs> and you put this thing out for three basis points, I mean, like I said, it's, um, I reference Field of Dreams, we call it Lower It and They Will Come, um, the Fee of Dreams, that's our theme, our yeah. ongoing theme. That they don't have to do all this, you know, it's just that it's just that they they just come and they buy it when you're indie and you have a niche product that people don't know. You gotta, you know, you've gotta hit the the streets, you've gotta say yes to things, take seaplanes, chat people up, (laughs) uh, relationships. Relationships. There's some companies that you see that where they work this really well that are indie, that and that's why there's a lot more. I don't know, there's a lot of stories in that world versus, say, the big, gigantic. Beast that just sort of put it out there for almost no cost and get all the assets. Yeah, I mean, I want
2: I want an invite to this fishing trip for the record. <laughs> you've got a you've got a ticker. Yep. How did you settle on it?
4: Yeah. So so the ticker for the index and the fund are the same. So I'm talking about the index here when I when I say this. So ticker is FRDM and um, my. I have a friend who, a mom friend who came up with this ticker while at the grocery store. So we were, I was at, um, it was a summertime when I first started the index and, uh, we had our kids in the same summer activity and we were picking up and I was like, I can't think of a ticker. She's the one that did my graphic design for my, you know, business cards and things like that. So, we, you know, she, she knew about what I was doing as far as the business. And so I mentioned that, you know, when we were picking up our kids later on in the day, she texts me from... Kroger, which is a grocery store here, and she's like, hey, how about FRDM? And I'm like, that's kind of perfect. And so, so literally, you know, my, my mom friend came up with this ticker. Her name is Monica. <laughs> that's
3: awesome. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no,
3: it's good. It, it gets the point across. I mean, uh, free would be good too, but that would, I mean, that could be taken, but that's also indicative of maybe like free costs. But right. FRDM it was
4: taken at the time, oh, and mm. then it became free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but then we thought of the, the cost issue. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Perth, congratulations on your ETF. Thanks for joining us on Trillions.
4: Thank you so much.
2: Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And you can follow Perth at Perth underscore Toll, T-O-L-L-E. Her ticker's F-R-D-M. And her website is lifeandlibertyindexes.com. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast.
0: Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
1: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.